Good evening, Fright fans. Welcome to the horror podcast that takes a deep dive into the stories that inspire our favorite horror movies. Join us for movie night as we find out for ourselves if what happened was true. It'd be weird if you were to like break into a zoo and drop animals in there that aren't supposed to be. <laughs> Like Santa, but with animals. Yeah, well, I was thinking, like, how Banksy puts art pieces in museums without telling the museum first. So you're saying someone would break into a zoo and drop off, say, um, I don't know, a koala inside the lion exhibit? I hope that koala gets eaten. <laughs> Koalas are awful. They had chlamydia. All of them? Well, not the babies, the adults. 90% of koalas have chlamydia. They get around. <laughs> I know way too much crap about well, crap. Well, I, I thought about it. That's why I tell you your nickname should be Wiki. Wiki, Wiki. Woo, woo. That's a dumb nickname. Don't, don't, <laughs> wiki? don't ever say I that. I like it. But you're but bas- no. You're, you're basically Wiki. You no. can just ask you something random and you say something random. You're a Wiki. That's not true. Ask me something. Okay. Who created the first stop motion animation? That dude that animated with bugs. What was his name? I don't know. Chuck Jones? Oh. <laughs> nah. Like Wikipedia, my sources aren't accurate. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Then you're perfect for Wiki. It's not perfect. I could see Amber giving me a look of, you're not calling yourself Wiki. Yeah, no, don't do that. Don't do it. I'm calling you Wiki, though. (laughs) It does not exist in my brain. You're WikiLeaks. WikiLex. WikiLex. Yes. Stop. WikiLex. No, please. Okay, so uh, Alex has an interesting story to tell about <laughs> this stupid podcast. Not stupid. Well, first, I, we I... should introduce Mel. Like, why do we have Mel on the show now? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's a different Mel? person. Who is, who is this? Who now, is this? Yes. Who are you? What do you want? And why are you doing here? Why are you doing here? <laughs> I am a woman, and I'm related to Alex. <laughs> I thought you were male. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, woman. <laughs> I'm Alex's cousin. Hooray. Yeah. Hey, cousin. Hey. Cool. All right. So a lot of cousins. Again, <laughs> one of the reasons I wanted you on the podcast <laughs> specifically is we've already done the Mothman. We recorded it. We freaking recorded for like four or five hours. Uh-huh. Five hours. It uh, was five hours. Yeah. 15 together. And a lot of weird crap started happening. The static. Like, we'd get static, we'd get weird feedback issues. At one point, both recordings stopped, like, a couple seconds yep. from each other. And mind you, he's recording off of a laptop, we're recording off of our Zoom, Yeah, clear across the room from each other, and they randomly cut out at the same time. Are you mm-hmm. implying that the Mothman had something to do with your technical issues? <laughs> That's what I said. I, I don't... told him it was the Mothman. I don't know, I... but... <laughs> Flex, out of all the times we recorded before, has that happened before? Actually, yeah. But not important. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right. I want to believe. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, yeah, and we also lost the file. Oh, right. And the reason we're yeah. re-recording it now is we lost the file. Oh. Yeah, it just straight up disappeared before we could even put it on the computer. So, Mothman. Yeah. Mothman. I mean, here we are talking about this thing. I'm glad to be here. I hope you guys don't lose the footage on this one. Not that I think. I yeah. know. Yeah. I hope it's entirely coincidental and not like an actual like Mothman. Mothman. It's just <laughs> anything to do with you can't do it. 
Hey, there has been several other podcasts about the Mothman that, as far as I know, never had any technical difficulties. I'm sure. It's just us. <laughs> it's just us because a- Antonio yeah. believes. In- <laughs> you gotta believe. I believe it happens. It's like Santa Claus. You gotta believe. It's like Santa. What? Yeah, it's like Santa Claus. You gotta believe. He, he can only hurt you if you believe him. Yeah. Christmas. Mothman. Mothman. <laughs> oh my gosh. Mothman prophecies. Oh. So, you listened to our podcast before. We're going to go into the true story. Okay. And then we'll do our review of the movie. What if people haven't listened to our podcast before? That's why I just said what we do. It's kind of you infer <laughs> from me explaining it to Mel who knows what's going on. As you know. <laughs> As you know, this is what oh we do. So stay. So no go. That means and then in Japanese. I find that learning Japanese is easier when it could associate it with a movie quote I know in English. <laughs> yeah. Domarigato. Thank oh. you very much. Don't say it like that. Mr. Robot. You sound Mr. so Robot. mucho gringa. Gringo, sorry. Wait, did she say mucho gringa? Yes. <laughs> Doesn't sound like Japanese. No, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's weird is Amber trying to teach me Japanese, uh-huh. and the thing is, Amber can speak Spanish for the most part, Bas- basic Spanish. She's been to, you've been to Mexico. Yeah, I've been Mexico. Mexico. So when she tries to teach me Japanese, she randomly throws Spanish words into it, and I can understand what she's saying, but I'm not sure what's Spanish and what's Japanese because my brain is like <laughs> confused. Pan is uh, bread in Spanish and Japanese and German and a uh, few other languages. Vatsura gomides. It's just like garbage, garbage. Yeah, but now I know what they both mean. Yeah, yeah. Is there a reason why you throw Spanish uh, in with your Japanese? Hi. Just to help him learn? Well, I do that and I was also learning Japanese. Like I started really studying it yeah. when I first went to Mexico and I was in Mexico for like over a week. And after being in a country for over a week, you just kind of pick up on basic language stuff. And I'm still trying to do my homework and study while I was there. And I'm also like inputting vocals differently. And I'm writing Japanese, but hearing Spanish. So my brain kind of broke. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways, go ahead and get into it because there's more than just Mothman we're going to be talking about. So much more. Yeah. Sorry. Transitioning back into the Mothman. 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 So the weird thing about the Mothman prophecies, we're doing, of course, the true story that the movie is based on. Mm-hmm. The weird thing about this is it's actually based on two separate stories. Okay. Right. Which I shall tell to you now. Oh, okay. Why are, you, why are you doing that voice? Because <laughs> I actually wrote a script. So I'm going to. Yay. Yeah. Anyway. Story time, guys. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right, so gather round, children. I'll tell you the story of the Mothman. Christmas. Okay. Okay. Dad. It's like Christmas. No, like story. not Christmas. Well, I think you're very good at presenting. Oh, I am. Yeah, when you're on track. Yes. <laughs> track. And Back field. on the choo-choo track. Right. Choo-choo. Oh, I could I could sense you hinting. See, she's my wife. I could sense her <laughs> hinting. Get back on topic. Oh, wow. You didn't get that? <laughs> I got this. supposed to be subtle. All right. <laughs> anyway. Mothman. 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 No. 
In West Virginia, a few miles north of Point Pleasant, there's a stretch of land known as the TNT area. With long winding roads and a complex of decayed abandoned buildings that once housed a thriving munitions factory. It was easy to get lost among the trees as nature began to reclaim the land. The buildings were dark and rotted. Years of decay and overgrowth caused some of the walls to collapse under the weight. Jagged bricks protrude out of years of vines and moss. They encircled a parking lot that was just as green and molded as the buildings around it. It resembled a courtyard of an ancient haunted castle. It was close to town, but just isolated enough to feel completely alone. The perfect place to hang out for teenagers in the 60s looking for a good time. Which is exactly what two couples had in mind when they turned their car onto that dirt road on the night of November 15th, 1966. Feel free to interject with spookies if you need. I'm just... Ooh. Ooh. Oh my gosh. You sound like ghosts. Not now. Nothing happened yet. But it will. Oh, okay. Asked for it. No, I just yeah. <laughs> I just mean You asked for it. Don't feel the need to be quiet is what I'm getting at. <laughs> well, I'm listening to yeah, the story. I'm, I'm very... All right. Roger and Linda Scarberry, with their friends Steve and Mary Mallet, were cruising after a night on the town. Just after midnight, and not wanting to go home just yet, they decided to check out a spot that used to go back in high school. They were chatting, listening to music. But they were there for less than 10 minutes before Steve suddenly shouted, What the hell is that? A large dark figure stumbled out of the debris. It wobbled oddly, almost indistinguishable from the darkness. The shadow moved like a person walking with their hands in its pockets. Fearing it was a drifter or some homeless person, they watched it carefully as it tiptoed just outside of their headlights. It was at least six feet tall, was gray and black in color. Its head was low and sunken into enormous shoulders, with what looked like a long, flowing cloak that draped down to the ground. A sense of dread swept over the group, and without another word, they unanimously decided it was time to leave. Roger threw it in reverse, and just as he was beginning to back up, Linda screamed. Finally illuminated, the creature stared right at them, its eyes glowing red. Massive wings folded along its back. Linda would later describe what she saw as a black angel. They drove as fast as they could, weaving through the woods, trying to clear as much distance as possible. When they rounded a curve near an old billboard, they saw it again, wings unfurled, at least seven feet wide. With tremendous strength and speed, it launched itself straight into the air and began gliding toward their car. They could hear it screeching as the shadow brushed the top of the roof, keeping up with ease. On a straight, Roger pushed a Chevy to at least 100 miles per hour, panicking. But no matter what he did, he couldn't lose him. It chased them for miles. They drove faster and faster, narrowly avoiding the body of a large dog in the middle of the road. It finally gave up when they reached the lights of the town. Eventually, they pulled over into a parking lot of a local dairyland. Linda suggested they go to the police, but Steve and Roger were convinced that they would only be laughed at. If they were going to report this... They wanted to make sure that it would still be there first. But as they turned the car around, they noticed that the dead dog was now gone. Just then, it buzzed the top of their car one last time. They told their story to Deputy Millard Halstead, who didn't believe them at first, but he could tell they were genuinely terrified. When they drove out with him, Deputy Halstead is said to have heard strange static disturbances coming from his radio, but saw no signs of the creature itself. Witnesses sitting in the back of his car said they saw shadows circling nearby 
and a cloud of dust kicked up from the adjacent coal yard. The Mallets were too scared to go home that night, so they stayed at the Scarberry's trailer, turned on all the lights, and stayed awake from fear. When morning came, and in the daylight, they found footprints that resembled two horseshoes put together. They said they saw something fly up into the boiler, but they were too frightened to look even further. The Point Pleasant Register, the local newspaper, ran the headline the next day, Couple see man-sized bird, creature, something? Question mark. Several other sightings were published. 80 miles south, two days before the Scarberries and the Mallet sighting, Kenneth Duncan reported seeing a man with wings watching him from the trees as he and four others dug a grave at the local cemetery. He watched for a few minutes before it finally flew off. On November 14th, the day before, Merrill Partridge claimed he was watching TV when it suddenly turned to static. It started waning like a generator charging up. His dog Bandit growled at the window. Merrill went for his gun and followed Bandit outside. He saw what he described as car taillights in the trees. He said it reminded him of those red reflectors you see on the back of bicycles. His dog gave chase, following it into the woods, where it was never seen again. With reports pouring in, the newspapers began calling it the Point Pleasant Mothman, solely because of the popularity of Batman at the time. Mind you, the author wanted to call it Batman, but he was reminded by his editor that that's copywritten, you can't call it Batman. <laughs> but uh, other than that, pretty much everyone unanimously saw a giant freaking bird, like man-eating sized bird. Right. They could have called him Owl Man. That would have been more accurate. Sounds kind of like an owl. Anyway, panic spread in the streets. Parents were afraid to let their children play outside. Pets and animals were locked away, and the townsfolk actively avoided going out at night. A cycle developed where it would die down, and then another sighting would happen. This went on for months. When things finally seemed to calm down, the nightmare started. Several people claimed to have nightmares involving the river. On November 19, 1967, local reporter Mary Heyer said in a statement, I had a terrible nightmare. There were a lot of people drowning in the river, and Christmas packages were floating everywhere. It's like something awful is going to happen. One of the last reported sightings stated they had seen the Mothman flooding around the supports of the Silver Bridge a large bridge that stretched across the Ohio River. It was the most heavily trafficked road out of town. At 5.05 p.m. on December 15, 1967, exactly 13 months from the first sighting of the Mothman, the Silver Bridge collapsed, taking 46 people with it. There were people driving home from school, returning from work, and of course, coming back from Christmas shopping. The survivors said the bridge twisted at first, dumping several cars over the side before suddenly buckling up and then crumbling into the water. It all happened in a matter of seconds on the coldest day of the year. Was the coldest day of the year Christmas? No, that was just literally it was the coldest day of the year. The waters were estimated to be in the lower 30s. Shit. So rescue workers had a hard time because if you didn't drown, you'd probably freeze to death within minutes anyway as i was saying in order to understand the mothman prophecies movie we'd have to tell both stories so to understand the true story we have to go back to october 16th 1966 
one month before the Mothman sightings. New Jersey, near 4th Street, two boys, the Martin Mouse Manoy and James Jimmy Yaktis, were walking home from school when Mouse stopped to take a break, leaning against a fence for support. They were chatting amongst themselves when Jimmy quietly nudged Mouse and said, Who's that guy standing behind you? Ew. When Mouse slowly turned around, he saw a tall, bald man, long and thin. He was easily taller than the fence, at least six to seven feet tall. He had small features, a thin nose, flat ears, wild glazed eyes. The man looked at them and smiled. A huge smile. Uncomfortably large smile. Never blinking, never looking away. The man seemed to glide around to an opening in the fence, gracefully stepping toward them. The boys ran as the man grinned after them, taking broad, exaggerated steps like he was doing ballet. Ew. This was the first reported sighting of Injured Cold, also known as the Smiling Man. Sounds friendly. He's more scary than the Mothman. Sorry. <laughs> I think he's scarier than the Mothman. I think yeah. it's hella scary. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, any creepy guy standing much, behind much you, like that's... I feel like that's a little that hits a little closer to Smiling home. Smiling and everything. Yeah. He's just being friendly. It's not an excuse. No one's too friendly. <laughs> On November 2nd, 1966, in Parkburg, West Virginia, just a few miles from Point Pleasant, Woodrow Derenberger was driving home on Interstate 77 when he saw blinking lights pull past him. It was a large metal vehicle that was cigar-shaped that narrowed in the center. Woodrow said it reminded him of a kerosene lamp's chimney. It seemed to float a foot off the ground. It blocked his way, leading him to slowly pull over to the side of the road. A man stepped out of the craft before it climbed 50 feet in the air and just hovered there. The man walked right up to Derenberger's window. He looked like an average man, six feet tall, about 35 years of age, olive complexion, dark brown hair, wearing a glossy metallic dark blue coat. The oddest thing about him, according to Derenberger, was his smile. His grotesquely large smile. He asked Derenberger to roll down his window, his mouth never moving, smile locked on his face. Derenberger said he could just hear the voice coming in his head. Please, open your window. We mean you no harm. I would just like to talk with you. He introduced himself as injured cold. He was courteous and friendly. The conversation lasted for roughly 10 minutes with Cold telling him, We eat, we breathe, we sleep, we bleed even as you do. Before returning to his flying craft, he said, We will see you again. Over the course of the months that followed, Derenberger met with Cold several times. He even claimed to be taken to his home planet, disappearing for up to six months at a time. Cold said he was from the planet Langulos, and that he and the others of his species were just visiting Earth to learn more about humanity. Other grinning men reportedly visited his home with Cold. Derenberger's wife and children said the men looked like us. They wore regular clothes. They even drove regular vehicles when visiting. But there was something off about them. They moved almost mechanically. Their faces were friendly, but almost never changing. His family said that Derenberger would also receive what he called mental messages from a distant friend. They would come suddenly and leave piercing migraine headaches. 
Now, normally these kind of claims would be dismissed as nothing but ravings. But the strange thing about it was dozens of people came forward to corroborate his story. Doesn't it collaborate? Collaborate. Oh, okay. Not collaborate, corroborate. Collaborate. Yeah, I think corroborate means to like to back up. Mm. Yes. Mind you, the first time Darren Berger met Injured Cold was on a busy freeway. A lot of people saw this happen. They saw him being pulled over. Some people reported seeing the craft. A lot of people said they saw a strange man talking to Darren Berger on the side of the road. So it wasn't like he made any of this up. A lot of people passing that interstate saw this happen. Darren Berger was asked to be interviewed by the local police. When they went to interview him on November 3rd, 1966, he went on live TV in Parksburg, West Virginia. He was interviewed by state police, the Wood County Airport, city police, representatives from the Dayton, Ohio Air Force Base, meaning he had actual military questioning him about these sightings. Maybe he's thinking communist spy or something. Well, if it were just the normal, I saw an alien story, normally the government doesn't try to go, well, we want to find out more. Tell us what you know. Right. Yeah. After this happened, of course, media frenzy, people started harassing him. People started showing up at his house just to try to get a glimpse of the smiling men. Eventually, the author John Keel showed up investigating the Mothman appearances. And of course... John Keel is the author of The Mothman Prophecies, which is why the movie and book are almost entirely about Woodrow and almost nothing to do with The Mothman. That explains it. Yeah. Watching The Mothman movie, there's almost nothing about The Mothman in that movie. It's almost entirely focused on Injured Cold and his experience with, well, they change his name to Gordon in the movie. They only show The Mothman like once in the beginning of the movie. Oh yeah, when the wife first sees him? Yeah. Huh, I didn't. I, I guess I didn't yeah. put that together. They, like the main entity that they're talking about is injured cold. And it's like a psychic thing. The other strange thing that happened with this is two guys showed up in the middle of the night in an effort to try to catch a glimpse of one of the smiling men. There were two hunters with rifles and cameras. They wanted to try to capture a photo. When a black car pulled up, they were too scared to, to move. Because obviously trespassing, they were just hiding out in the bushes watching this guy's house. Two men in black came out and knocked on Woodrow's door in the middle of the night. Mind you, he had never heard of the men in black. This is the 60s. It's like a few years after the Roswell incident. The idea of the men in black wasn't a common thing. So all Woodrow knew was these two guys in suits, possibly from the government, showed up at his house and started threatening him. They told him to never speak of injury cold, not to mention ever seeing a UFO, aliens or nothing. They pretty much told him he would regret it if he kept talking to the press about what he saw. Several people around Point Pleasant saw these men in black. In fact, more people saw the men in black around Point Pleasant than the Mothman, which led to a lot of people believing that somehow the Mothman was connected to Injured Cold. Possibly... Like a pet or something? Yeah, like there's yeah. theories that the Mothman was like a pet. Some people think that the big metallic coat that he wore was actually wings and he was the Mothman. Uh, Just what, like the movie. Yeah. One theory that I read was that they're trying to capture an escaped alien fugitive like Lilo and Stitch. There's all sorts oh, of like critters. Yeah, more like critters. So actually, there were shapeshifters after aliens in that too. <laughs> but there's all sorts of weird theories, the connection between Indrid Cold and the Mothman because 
as soon as the bridge collapsed, sightings of both of them pretty much stopped in the area. It's all connected, but we don't know why. The sad thing about all this is what happened to Woodrow after all this started happening. What happened? He and his wife went through a nasty divorce. The attention was just too much for them. They never didn't believe him. Like his family 100% believed the aliens were real. They 100% backed him, but they couldn't deal with all the stress of people harassing them. He lost his job, missed out on several jobs, actually lost a lot of friends. He would constantly get phone calls telling him to stop talking about the injured cold and the aliens. At one point, he said that a lot of his mail was being sifted through. Someone was stealing his journals from his desk and his offices. Eventually, he had to move out of across the country just to escape all the issues. He never denied what happened to him. He never claimed it wasn't true. He just had to stop talking about it. Eventually, people started to leave him alone. That's terrible. Yeah. Essentially run out of his own home. It sounds really accurate. Yeah, yeah. It's one. It's one thing that people don't believe you. It's another thing that they believe you, but they just want to ask so many questions and basically ruin your life. Was the majority yeah. of the harassment coming from the townsfolk or from the men in black? A lot of the phone calls and missing mail and anonymous people calling him, telling him to be quiet. He thinks are from the men in black. Oh. Because it kind of matches similar stories to the men in black of them harassing alien witnesses. That's dumb. They could use a neuralizer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I don't everything you just told. The scariest part is Indrick Code. I think he's the scariest one. Well, like, the Mothman, he is scary, but just a man standing there, smiling, grinning, and just talking to you without moving his lips. That's that's more scary than the Mothman himself. Yeah, the actual grinning man or the smiling man is a monster that comes up quite often. I mean, there's been several creepypastas, scary stories, not to mention sightings over the years of weird, creepy, smiling men in odd suits. So do you think that all of those accounts of other smiling men are from the same I don't know, species or group of people, aliens, whatever? Well, he did. Indrid Cole did tell... Derenberger that the smiling men are all part of injured cold species like the weird smiling men are part of his unit of like visitors I don't know they could have been doing something else besides smiling how would you like it Lex if you're out in your front yard cutting the grass and then some guy in a suit comes up to you and smiling starts talking to you well as we established earlier I am an introvert and I would hate that (laughs) yeah ditto I don't even know what the door for my relatives (laughs) Yeah, I, I think that the, I think Idrid Cold's a lot scarier than the Mothman too, because cryptids are one thing. I, after all the research I've done on the Mothman in the last couple of weeks, I'm convinced that it's a large bird. Oh, like, like a crane or something? Yeah, it makes the most sense. People like say that they see something with huge wings that have glowing reflective red eyes Everything pretty much what they're describing could be like an extremely large owl. Well, the TNT area where most of the sightings took place was heavily radiated. And one of the theories is that it's just a mutated owl or any of the local birds. Makes sense. I mean, 
Granted, I believe there is something strange out there, but whether or not it's a space alien or a weird, like, dude, like, monster, I don't really know. But a lot of the Mothman stories kind of line up with the old stories of, like, the Thunderbirds that the Native Americans saw or, like, you know, just giant-ass birds that most city people wouldn't really know is normal. You know what I mean? Like, Hmm. Yeah. I I found out recently that an eagle's claw, like its hand, is bigger than my arm. And that's a normal eagle. Wait, the whole arm? arm? Shit, that's huge. No, just my bicep. That's still pretty big. Oh, that's that's still huge. Basically, I could fit my palm in an eagle's palm, and it would be bigger. Whoa. And that's a normal eagle. I, I think it's that thing of people don't really... When people think bird, they think small sparrows, but it doesn't really connect that normal birds are pretty damn big. Look at an ostrich. They're monsters. <laughs> They're dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. Basically raptors. You know what I find funny about the Mothman sightings? Also, when I was researching it, there are several sightings of giant birds all along the east coast of America. So you're thinking it could be bird instead of action in Mothman? Well, I mean, there were famously Thunderbird sightings in Pennsylvania, which is only about 300 miles away. The way they described it was a giant bird, like looked like a normal bird, but it was like the size of a plane. And that's only 300 miles away. And there's also the beast of a, I don't freaking remember, but basically it's this weird thing of, a lot of these places have their Bigfoot. They have their own like cryptid sightings. The Jersey Devil comes to mind mm-hmm. where people see something weird in the woods and they like to claim it as though it were their own. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like trying to be mm-hmm. a part of a bigger yeah. story. They're trying to be unique, but all of the sightings sort of match a similar creature appearing along the coast. Like, the Jersey Devil is described as a giant bird thing with glowing red eyes. It's the same thing as the Mothman. It's the same thing as the Thunderbird. Like, all of them have roughly the same description. And they're all within a thousand miles from each other. If it were a giant bird, it could easily clear a thousand miles. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, I just Google biggest owl. And it's the Black Blackstone's fish owl. And it has a wingspan of two meters. Two meters is six and a half feet. Yeah, that's just a wingspan. And it's the size of a small child, it says right here. And the Mothman was reportedly having seven foot wingspan. Yeah. It could be it. That's what I mean. Like, it's not even, it doesn't even need to be that specific species. I just mean that most people underestimate how big things naturally are. Birds can be big, big bird. I hit a hawk on the way to work the other day. You hit a hawk? Uh-huh. I hit a hawk on the way to work the other day. That fucker was bigger than a two-liter bottle. Well, God. yeah, that's Shit. about the size of a hawk. Did it die? No, that it... flew away. Oh, okay. Broke my oh. mirror. <laughs> oh, that sucks. Yeah, that yeah. Does he suck. was fine. <laughs> Car wasn't. Yeah, but what about, yeah, what about your mirror? Who no, I... for that, not the hawk. Uh, yeah, no. exactly. Did it have insurance? Change. Exactly. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, I didn't. The deductible was more expensive than just buying a new mirror. Oh, uh, I was talking about the bird's insurance. Ah, 
Wait, okay, so but building on the theory that it was just like a mutated owl, like were there any other sightings of like really huge fucking owls or was that the only one? Well, there were sightings of a giant red-eyed monster in a neighboring town less than 20 miles away. A red-eyed monster? I guess, yeah. I could still be a bird. <laughs> that's, that's what I mean. There's several... In fact, that whole area of West Virginia, around the West Virginia, Ohio area, has a lot of unusual sightings in their wooded area. A lot of them revolve around big birds, flying creatures red-eyed monsters i mean practically speaking it sounds like they're all the same thing especially if it's supposed to be able to fly and cover great distances mm-hmm. whether or not it is a mothman or an alien i feel like it's just the same thing going up and down the coast just one undiscovered bird people are mistaken it for a mothman jersey devil or thunderbird or something else well what's interesting to me is stories like sasquatch or Bigfoot. They're reportedly supposed to be the same creature in different areas of the world. Sasquatch being from yeah. like the Can- Canada area, northern New York, that kind of area. Mm-hmm. And Pacific Bigfoot. Pacific North Coast. Pacific North, North the, what you said. Pacific North Coast. <laughs> Pacific North Coast. Anyway, the idea is Bigfoot and Sasquatch are supposed to be two different entities of the same species. Whereas people, cousins. yeah, there would be cousins. They'd be the same creature in different areas. Bigfoot being, of course, Midwestern United States and Sasquatch being North by Canada. Why can people accept that those two cryptids and the skunk ape of Florida, those three cryptids are the same creature in different areas of the map, but they can't accept that the Mothman is possibly the Jersey Devil or the Thunderbird of Pennsylvania all the descriptions match up. It sounds like it's the same animal. Yeah, it kind of does. I mean, for a while, I thought the Mothman and the Jersey Devil were the same thing. And Well, birds migrate, too, yeah. so there's that. Yeah, that's true. Either way, I, I enjoy the Mothman. Like, I think researching the Mothman had, has been more fun than researching other cryptids. You want to buy Mothman uh, paraphernalia? I do want Mothman paraphernalia. At- like, I'd love a Mothman statue. Yeah, Mothman Funko Pop, Mothman shirt, Mothman mask, Mothman. Just Mothman your whole life. He's such a cool cryptic. Is he? Or is he just a bird? Do you guys have any weird sightings, stories of weird shit like the Mothman? That one's cool. Um, I've seen weird things, not necessarily not a cryptid. Me, personally, the only thing closest was... Probably heard the Yarona when I went to Mexico back in 2006. You saw her? Really? No, heard her. Oh, that, oh my God, that's even worse. She's no, terrifying. No. <laughs> Could it have been a peacock? Because I know they sound like a woman when they're screaming in the middle of the night. Yeah, probably. I'm from the Bay Area, though, so when I hear a woman crying in the middle of the night, I immediately think crackhead. Yeah. It <laughs> could be any street wanderer. Anyway. Let's talk about the movie. Mothman. Mothman. The Mothman Prophecies from 2002, starring Richard Gere and Laura Linney. Yeah. Linney? Linney. Linney. I think it's Linney. How do you pronounce that? Laura Linney. Linney. (laughs) Laura Linney and Deborah Messing, who I know from Will and Grace, who had almost no lines in this movie. She died very early. She just dies. She died very early and added almost nothing to the story. I think she was she was just yeah. like her her death was really just like a plot point for the grieving 
tortured widow or widower. Well, I, she's technically in the movie the entire time. They keep showing pictures. They keep like doing the weird transitions of her eyeball and a mothman's eyeball yeah. or whatever it is. And heavy breathing with her picture being shown. The weirdest thing to me of this movie was it was the Mothman impersonating his wife, or was it like the ghost of his wife? Oh, near the end of the movie, or was he just going crazy? Well, I just mean in general, like he would hear visions of his wife's voice. I wasn't sure if she was supposed to be a ghost or if like injured cold. Oh, I thought was it was creepy. Cold, like, or injured him. cold was tapping into his psyche, making him yeah. more psychic. Ah, that's what I felt like. It was trying to make him more psychic because he was able to put pieces together, but not really too well. Yeah. Ah, uh, so let's let's do a minor walkthrough of this movie, just for people who just kind of tuning in or haven't seen it in a while. The basic plot for the Mothman prophecies is grieving widower somehow finds himself in the middle of Point Pleasant, and while everybody's seeing strange lights and UFOs bizarre happenings going on with a mysterious injured cold who may or may not be the elusive mothman personally i don't think he's the mothman i think almost nothing of the mothman is even in this movie just one scene yeah one scene it's mostly injured cold movie i don't remember the even showing the mothman or at least anything resembling the mothman other than dude in a trench coat there was in that the really quick like jump scare like, yeah. that caused them to crash in the first place that the wife saw. Yeah, but, the big, but yeah, yeah, other than that, I don't really think I saw him. Did they? And I'm sorry if this is like <laughs> really dumb. Did they even say the word Mothman through the whole movie, or was it just Indrid Cold? No, they didn't. No, just no, they, Cold. They, they didn't, did they? I'm trying. I'm trying really hard to remember, <laughs> and I just watched it. I don't remember them saying Mothman. In- yeah, we actually watched it. Yeah. Like a couple hours ago, I feel like just I to didn't like refresh hear Mothman once. Was that a, wait? Sorry, was that yesterday? <laughs> yeah, that was yesterday. <laughs> uh, they run together. I, it's very, it's very fresh, very fresh. I think it's because I fell asleep writing my notes for this. And yes, then... they did mention a Mothman. They mentioned it when they were doing research in the library and talking about a moth, and they're talking about okay the prophecy. Oh right, where he meets uh, the author who says that it's like the symbol of life and death and whatnot and yeah so they do actually talk about moth and moths being moths and, and the dark butterfly he calls it yes okay well, let's talk about that opening scene mm-hmm. where they see the mothman yeah this movie is the most 2000 movie i've ever seen yeah <laughs> it just screams 2000 from the transitions from the pop film grain like that weird csi look to it music video where like the lighting yeah it looks like a music video oh yeah and it goes and it has like a high exposure where everything's like really bright for a second and like there's random lens flares that stretch across the frame or where the scene gets super grainy like in scene transitions the other thing that kind of made me laugh is how odd the opening sequence was like of course he's a reporter they want to establish who he is but they literally have his boss say, oh, my star reporter. Like, <laughs> what? Yeah. What, what the hell? He's a friendly boss, I guess. That scene leads into them, like, he's missing a Christmas party. So he and his wife could go check out a new house they're interested in and buying. Bang. In the middle of the night <laughs> on Christmas Eve. I don't think that's normal, but okay. And, and then, like you said, 
Then they bone in the closet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Random yeah. sexing. While while the guy is still talking to him, trying to sell the house. Yeah. You haven't even yeah. bought the house yet. You're banging in the closets already. Yeah, they're christening already. <laughs> and then when he catches them, they're like, we'll take it. And then they close the doors, implying they're still going to keep Just going. Like, no, dude, get and out. They do. Put a down payment on. And I'm like, what? Get out. You already tainted <laughs> this room. They feel like teenagers, like just hooking up for the first time like come on guys you just bought a house what's wrong with you i guess it was supposed to imply that they're like really in love and passionate yeah they're they're still super passionate they're so passionate that they're just gonna ignore this dude who's standing outside of their closet now and the and the way that was shot i didn't even realize they had walked into a closet like they walk into the door and then they fall over and are making out in the closet that jump cut was very odd i actually thought that was like a time skip like maybe the guy left and you're like okay cool they bought the house but no he's just still <laughs> he's just downstairs there. i love his reaction of so if you guys are interested it's still available instead of <laughs> what the hell are you doing <laughs> Get out of put this your house. clothes back on he's he's set on selling that house i mean he's doing it at christmas eve in the middle of the night so I guess, yeah, he's going to be weird, too. And then when they drive off, that, okay, every time we talked about this movie, just in general, like, oh, have you seen the Mothman? I always remember her dying in that car accident. She, she does no, not. No, she dies um, off screen. Two years later. <laughs> Dead. A yeah. Tumor. It, it, Which makes me wonder. Feels kind of unnecessary, that whole opening part. Like, is any of that relevant if she died two years later of a brain tumor? No. I'm not sure what the time skip I don't does. think she died two years later, though. I think she had died and then it had been two years of him, like, grieving and shit. Ah, I see. Mm. That would make sense. I suppose. Sense. But either way, the brain tumor didn't add anything to the story. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, I thought it would come up later, but it didn't. I, the only time it came up was when he was scaring Gordon into... Oh my god, can we talk about that scene too? Why is this man who's not family yeah. inside the room with my doctor and me? <laughs> Get out. Well, he becomes like best friends with the dude. He's having dinner with them. He's on a first name basis with the dude's wife. And like, he's really close to the family in the too close months he's in town. Like, why are you still here? Go home. Well, what happens after they bought the house and stuff? Is Shortly he meets... Uh, Gordon, right? Yeah, yeah, right after that. Well, before that, there's that scene where his friend is trying to hook him up with some girl. And he's like, come on, man. It's been two years. Dude, his wife died. What <laughs> yeah. are you talking about? It's like, you need somebody. So let him grieve. Let him take his time. Like, maybe he doesn't need anybody. Maybe he's just happy with yeah. her. And, like, you don't need a bandage. He's able to operate just fine. He's successful in his job. He's, like... He's being normal. He's not like crying in a closet every single day. He's just normally sad. I like that scene because I remember thinking, is that normal? Is that something people normally do for their friends who are widowers or widows? Like, you know what? I need to get you laid. Your wife died two years ago. You need to move on, buddy. Come on. We're going to Mexico. I think it might be a normal thing, but... Uh, American thing. I couldn't identify with it. It's It sounded insane to me. Yeah. I guess some people are like, it's fine. Just get a new puppy. You'll feel better. Then he meets Gordon, and I think it's the coolest scene of the movie is him knocking on the door, and like he's been here every day for the last three days, and he 
somehow traveled across about five, eight hundred miles. Eight hundred so. miles. It was many he miles. went from, yeah, he said eight hundred yeah. miles. <laughs> he traveled many miles within a couple hours, and the other guy claims that he had been there for multiple days in a row. And then they become best friends, like they're besties. <laughs> yeah, well, he holds him. He kidnaps him, first of all. He insults him and like, you're doing this. And the guy's already confused, like, what? And brings him in that house, points a gun at him, then puts him in a shower. Which, I, I, like, dude, you don't have to like bring him in. If you're scared about him, why are you bringing him in your house? Yeah. Well, capture him, bring him to the police. It was a good scene. Like, I thought it was confusing and kind of creepy and cool. But then he says, legally, I have a right to shoot you. And the cop's like, only if he broke into your house. And he's like, really? <laughs> like That that really t- that took me out of the scene because it sounded like the actor genuinely Didn't. went, oh, okay. He's uh, like, oh. Oh, well. Oh, well. But I enjoy the fact that they become friends. And he's just sort of squatting in their town. Everyone in town seems to know yeah. him eventually. They also use this really odd phrasing i'm not sure why they have to mention it this way but they mentioned that these are good honest christian people folk the honest church going folk emphasis and they don't christian. make things up like <laughs> this i don't know why i have to imply that right now no. i'm because not blind crazy. faith implies yeah. credibility yeah i believe in jesus but, believe me but i I don't, I don't know you didn't have to bring it up that way it's just a town you could just say these people aren't crazy. I think that's implied in the fact that they go to church. <laughs> I don't know. I, I definitely found it kind of odd the way, uh, especially that actress talk. Uh, Laura Linney. Laura yeah, Linney. she had this accent that would fade in and out, and it just, just kept taking me out of the, the movie because I was wondering if she's Southern. She was trying. Or... I looked her up. She's actually from Manhattan. I don't know if she was going. Oh, so that's not no. her natural accent at all. I don't. I, that's the thing. I don't know if she's doing an accent or she's trying not to do an accent, but it sounds yeah. unnatural. Yeah. Like, I don't know if anyone else got that when watching the movie. You heard it, right? Very subtle accent that kind of fades in mid-sentence. Yeah, it wasn't natural. I mean, I, I had I had no idea. After talking to Gordon and learning about injured cold and all this other stuff... They started investigating all the strange happenings on around the town, all the odd sightings, that couple that were boning in the backseat of their car for some reason. No, they were making out. Oh, they were making out with their clothes off. <laughs> Still making out. <laughs> I didn't get that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I get it, I guess. I know what they were going for, but they're engaged and they're like grown people. Why are you in the car? Go home. I don't know. Brain. You can. It's. I don't know. It's. It's. I mean, back. I mean, now it's 2020. Back then, it was 2002. But you can you can bang wherever you want as long as it's not a preschool. That's not true. <laughs> you still get in trouble. That, that or a closet true. of a house you don't exactly. own yet. But the guy owned the car, so it's that kind of movie. Ideally, he can bang <laughs> in it if you know if he wants to. No, they're just making out. That scene ended very oddly to me too. I mean, there's a lot of moments in this movie that kind of take me out of the movie. Like it's a very serious moment, very oh. dramatic thing happened and then she's like we're getting engaged and he's like that's good <laughs> and that's it that's <laughs> that's how it ends. <laughs> okay like, what does that matter like the yeah. constant use of stock sound effects 
oh. you hear like a scream or you hear like a like there's, a sound. I heard a like, stock well, scream hold on. somewhere. Oh, we'll we'll get to that because there's a yeah. lot of that throughout the movie. Okay. I feel like the movie was solid, and then there are bits where they should have just cut at the right second. Where were we? We were talking about the couple making oh, out, and oh. then he became. Okay. Uh, I think at this point he was just like investigating the town and all the different like experiences people had had. Like he he interviews the chief at one point, right? Oh, uh, the the fire chief, and the chief talked about like receiving phone calls, and then he changed his number, and he still received yeah. weird phone calls. The other scene that really took me out of the movie is where he had the voice and analyzed. Oh, like the the voice. Like I don't know what they're called, the voice oh, technician yeah, yeah. dudes. Yeah. Why? Where the hell did he go? Where they had a voice technician <laughs> near West Virginia, just randomly. I I mean I assumed the the movie could have done it better, glasses. but I assumed that he drove back to where was he from? D.C. Right? He went back home. Well, that's the thing. In the beginning of the movie, they sort of imply that he traveled a huge distance overnight, and it was supposed to yeah. be a shocking thing. But throughout the movie, mm-hmm. he goes to like Chicago, D.C., all within a couple of hours. It's not without a realm of possibilities that he just drove it without realizing it. He's just driving a lot of hours. Yeah. Gas must have been so cheap back then. In the early 2000s, yeah. you think? I don't know. I wasn't driving then, but it, it had to have been better than what it was now, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, everything was cheaper. What year does this movie take place? 2002. 2002. $1.36. Oh, for, oh, for Gallon? That's amazing. Also, he was like a he was a super... Famous Washington Post journalist. He can afford gas driving to and from. All right. So after the scene where he interrogates the couple about their sexual habits in the backseat of a car, uh, (laughs) (laughs) he goes and talks with Gordon, who starts telling him about all the prophecies from the title of the movie. Oddly enough, in an antique shop of some kind, like the set design in this movie is very odd. Oh, the weird. The weird store that he was in? It was like a hardware store. Yeah. Was it a hardware store? Like an antique hardware store. I thought it was like a movie store. <laughs> yeah. Where they had like old TVs just like on the shelves. Yeah, it, was yeah. like a, it looked almost like a thrift store. Felt like a janitor's closet kind of. It did. Because <laughs> like the weird bracket shelves. Maybe it was a Goodwill. I, that's why I thought it was a pawn shop. I don't understand the relevance of where they place things in this movie. In fact, <laughs> since the movie is so sketchy and like there's a lot of jump cuts and 180 breaks. I had trouble placing where any of the things happening in the movie were. Like earlier when they were in the closet, I had no idea whether they were even in the closet. And in that sequence, I wasn't sure why he was meeting Gordon in a pawn shop or wherever that was. Maybe they wanted to establish a small town kind of setting. We don't know folk like you here. That scene ends with them walking out and Gordon's ear starts bleeding. Yeah, yeah. it does. It's like right ear. <laughs> And technically, it's not his ear. It's just his ear lobe. Yeah, I noticed that too. Like, not in his ear. It's like, oh, you might have a brain tumor. Why? His ear lobe is bleeding. It's not even coming from the hole. Maybe he just cut his ear. Right after that, he starts talking about how he has that prophecy, 99 will die. And then, of course, they go to the hospital because Richard Gere is scaring them. And then, <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, he's... He's got family clearance to go in there with his wife. <laughs> He's his new BFF. He's family now. Yeah. Well, his wife is like, the doctor said you were fine. But then he's like, but he told me I might have the cancer. <laughs> his wife had it. Then they're having dinner and he's like, did your wife hear voices? Like, wh- why are you so close with them now? You bonded over him pointing a gun at you? 
Yeah, yeah, no, huh. they're best friends. You know, the other thing about this movie that kind of throws me off is how everyone in the film 100% believes them. Like, there's almost no skeptics in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's not like, you're crazy, you're insane. They all saw the same thing. Well, no, I mean, he tells Gordon, you say I came to your house three times in the last three days. I don't know how I got here. And Gordon's like, ah, I feel you. I know what you mean. Like, we'll, we'll be friends now. We have bonded over this. And the cop who, I think she's flirting with him. I thought, oh, it's that's, kind that's of a vague. big ending. Like, I thought they would hook up. But they never I, did. They were flirting. They had good chemistry, but they, they never hooked up at all. They didn't. Were it, they flirting? It didn't feel yeah. like it to me because... They seemed very close. Well, he was closer to Gordon. Yeah, technically, he could have been flirting with Gordon for all we know. Because no. Richard Gere has this weird thing in his movies. Well, at least in this movie. <laughs> where he talks way too close to his co-star's face. Like, oh, yeah. Close talk. <laughs> we touch each other's noses. I'm like, dude, you... You're invading my bubble yeah. by invading their bubble. You're so close. Six feet. This movie is a little uncomfortable to watch in that sense because, like, when he's telling Gordon or when Gordon's telling him about the prophecy, they're like almost touching noses. Yeah. Yeah. And I always try to think of the layout of a scene if I were an eyewitness. And if you were an eyewitness <laughs> on the street and you saw these two men come out of a hardware store chatting, they look like they're about to make out. <laughs> yeah, they were pretty yeah. dang close. Like, what y'all talking about? I don't know, but he's really close with him and his wife now. Like, almost every character he has a conversation with is within spitting distance. It's uh, dramatic, I guess. The beginning part of the movie is kind of the forgettable part. I agree. That's why we had to rewatch it. I remember the second half, but I barely remember what happens in the beginning. Right after that scene, they have dinner, they go to the diner, and the plane crash thing happens. Oh, the 99. Oh, the 99. Yeah, the 99 die. He decides to go check out the author in Chicago, who mm -hmm. tells him he won't help him. He calls him first. Then he gets a call from Gordon, who says that he met the guy who gave him the prophecy. Which, of course, if you're following along, Gordon is supposed <laughs> to be Woodrow in this movie. Only... Mm -hmm. His version of injured cold kills him, apparently. Yeah, that's true. Again, this movie almost had no Mothman anything in it. Like, the injured cold sighting of him being on the way home and then he walks up to his truck is still injured cold, but almost none of the Mothman sightings were represented in this movie. It was mostly about injured cold and that relationship of them experiencing really weird stuff together. With Andrew Gold. The movie has forced advertising. Well, yeah. With Mothman Prophecies. Mo Mothman Prophecies, but it's like 90%. Actually, it's 100% about Andrew Cold and his relationship with this guy. But they somehow yeah. managed to do it without mentioning UFOs or aliens. And I think it's very disappointing that they didn't show a smiling man once. Because that would have been no. really, really creepy. Maybe they did. There was a shot, a few shots that were like maybe a few frames long. You kind of had to pause on them, but I didn't see a smile, but I definitely saw a long, lengthy, like, dude. Well, it just looked like a dude yelling, really. Like a gray face yelling. Yeah. Right after that, the scene that is the most memorable to me is him talking with the cop about all the weird shit that's been going on in the town. And again, they're kind of flirting on his couch in the middle of the night. And she tells that story about 
dreaming of drowning surrounded by presents and junk. Right. Mm-hmm. And she's like crying but happy about the feeling of death. Like she's relieved. She's going to let herself drown. Yeah. She's like, yeah, it felt so great. I'm crying, but I'm happy. I, I, I don't know. I like that scene. It's a really cool, like creepy scene, but I feel like the movie was made for people with ADHD. Why? <laughs> because that scene is very, to me, the scene is very poignant. It's very odd. But later on, they feel the need to recap it. So you get the point that she was supposed to be number 37. Oh, yeah, they were a little too on the nose with that. that extra emphasis, yeah. I felt. Yeah, there's not enough room for subtlety and metaphor yeah. in it. We're like, no, wake up number 37. Like, he repeat yeah. quotes her and shit. That leads to the scene where they're in his hotel room. Mm-hmm. They're in his hotel room discussing whether or not he had a chance to talk to the author, which at that point he was already rejected on over the phone. Uh, I think that's actually right after he had spoken with the author, right? Yeah. The author's name is Keel backwards. It's like Leak or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They use the name of the author of the book as the name of the author in the movie. They just sort of flipped it. Okay. And what happens to the author in the movie is what happened to the real Woodrow. People harassed him. His wife left him. All this horrible shit. Ruined his life. Shit. Yeah. The thing that's kind of interesting to me is they go into the mythology of the moth and where it comes from and how it pops up in folklore as like a symbol of death. But then he starts rattling off names of places that had seen a mothman before a natural disaster. One of the ones he mentions is Chernobyl. Yeah, that was random. The reason why I'm mentioning it now is I researched the crap out of the Mothman to look for other sightings of it. That Chernobyl one only appeared after this movie. It's heavily implied that the story of the people having nightmares and seeing the black bird flying over the smokestacks and whatnot, it's implied that it's entirely made up because of the movie rather than it actually citing a real sighting. Right. Hmm. The thing about researching a story like The Mothman is how much of it is folklore? How much of it is just straight up made up nonsense? Uh, I don't know. I definitely take away some real things from it, but a lot of it just felt, I guess, in a way, Hollywoodized. It just definitely felt like it was supposed to be for a movie and not, I guess, like any movie ever. It's not going to go as the real stories are just kind of the gist of the real story. I honestly think if they made a movie more accurate to the real Mothman sightings, it wouldn't be as scary. I I really think injured cold is way creepier than anything that happened with the I Mothman. I also think that's why they focus so much on injured cold because that's when the movie starts to really pick up is when he's heavily introduced and I believe after that scene is uh, the telephone, yeah, the, the telephone the scene, and telephone that's a game. scene that like everyone really kind of sticks to, and it, it remembers. Uh, I actually think it's kind of a funny scene. It feels like a hide and seek game or something, like, he's, some he's, sort of game. He's trying to test him. Yeah, he's like on a test, and you're like, okay, yeah. re- ready for this test. Where's my watch? In your shoe under the bed. Dun, dun, dun. I believe he says like maybe four or maybe like six different things to test him on to see if he actually is psychic. I mean, clearly after the first one or two, yeah, but they keep going and going. Well, that scene kind of confused me because 
he and the cop are in his hotel room. They get a call from Gordon. And he's like, I'm with injured cold. And he's immediately like, go to Gordon's house immediately. And then she's gone. Right. Mm-hmm. I got really confused for a second. Cause why injured cold hasn't caused any harm. Why would the cop suddenly need to go meet injured cold? They hadn't told her anything that would indicate that cold was bad. What is she going to do when she gets there? Just be like, nice to meet you. <laughs> she doesn't have a warrant. And he answers the door looking higher than a mofo. He's just like, hey, how's it going? Nothing, man. I was just sleeping. And she's like, oh, okay, never mind. I thought he was possessed in that scene, but I guess it was just him being asleep since nine. Yeah, he was asleep, and it sort of implied that... He kind of did feel possessed. Like, I thought so, too, because it was yeah, right behind him. Like, something and, about like, that didn't feel normal. Everything... Yeah, he's oh, like, no, so everything's fine. Was it supposed to imply that Cold was speaking through Gordon? I thought that Cold was just calling him directly and imitating his voice while dude was high at home asleep. And by the way, this is the point of the movie where it just heavily gets very artistic and is up to your abilities to translate whatever you want it to yeah. be. I feel like when I watch movies, of course I overanalyze crap and I'm hella paying attention but I started to get confused watching this movie. I, I kept thinking, like, okay, is he possessed? Is he doing this? Or, like, wait, who is the Mothman? Is this Andrew Cold? What's going on? Well, that scene ended in a very, like, it, the scene ended so abruptly. She gets to his house and is like, are you okay? Did you just call John? And he's like, no, I was asleep. And scene. Like, I thought she was going to be like, oh, no, John's in danger. Or I have to go tell him that it's not really Gordon. Or something but that means she was hanging out with john they got a call from gordon she said oh no i gotta get over there okay nothing's wrong where did she go after that did she just go home maybe she went back to his hotel because that's where they were and they were doing cool psychic tricks i i do want to talk more about the psychic games they were playing yeah i think the first one was uh the watch in the shoe wasn't his family like a question question about his like father oh he didn't ask him anything he just oh, yeah. he just answered the phone he's like your name's john your dad had a green door <laughs> like okay so yeah, i can't them. i can't confirm that it was my father's childhood home oh, yeah it's like you don't know what your mom looks like he's trying to bait him to be like come on ask me more this, this is a fun game <laughs> come you on, know what? let's play this you're right that whole sequence i sort of it kind of reminded me of watching a magic show where he's trying to get the audience he's trying to get the patsy to lead in and be like come on ask me psychic questions and then the scene ends with a book test have you ever seen that magic trick where they're like name any page from this book and i will tell you what it says that's a classic magic trick and that's how the scene ends of him reading a quote from a book yeah and the word of him just saying what's in my hand is yeah. that what he says yeah what what's in my hand what's in my hand chapstick that scene Scared the crap out of me when I saw this movie as a little kid. <laughs> and you're the only one out of all of us that saw it as a little kid. I had right? never seen yeah. it. Never seen it till yeah. then. Okay. Mind you, I'm always alone in my room doing random crap. I'm really into cryptids and weird shit, conspiracies, ghost stories. This movie really bothered me. And it really, really creeped me out. I guess that would make it a good horror movie for you then. Because that's what a horror movie is supposed yeah. to do. 
But this movie was more like a procedural. It was literally a reporter walking around interviewing people offhand of what they experienced rather than showing us in real time what was happening. Everything was done in flashbacks. Everything was told from a perspective of unreliable narrators. But yeah, that sequence really creeped me out when I was a little kid because it was so eerie to me. But then watching it as an adult, chapstick. <laughs> really? I, what, I would what? say... What made them pick chapstick? I, I don't know. I guess it was just something the actor I probably had on him was like, oh, dude, let's do this. Well, that had to be written somewhere. You think? Somebody had to say, yeah, chapstick, because it could fit in his <laughs> hand. Luckily, it was in this drawer. What's in my hand? Nothing. The drawer was empty. <laughs> so I think the, uh, after that, the plot picks up pretty fast, I yeah, would say. It, it, like, it yeah, just it definitely picks up in a second. It faster, half. yeah. Picks up. You got to be watching the whole time, or else you'll miss something. Unlike the beginning, where it's really slow, really calm, and then it just picks up pace. Well, the idea is that the movie's building to a climax, but then there's a lull period before the climax. So, right, he's running around because after speaking with the author a second time, he's convinced that these prophecies are happening for a reason. He must be there to prevent it or something. Because why else would they bother? telling us about all of these things. But by then, Gordon has died. He randomly wandered off in the middle of the night and then called him. Even though he was already dead. <laughs> Gordon wanders off in the middle of the night and just freezes to death. Yeah. Yeah, they say he died of exposure. Going outside. What was his wife doing? Uh, Sleeping? She must be a heavy sleeper. She left him by then. Oh, she yeah. had left him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah, so she wasn't there. They oh, together. right. That's what they were discussing at the Christmas party where the kids were stock and laughing. The wife looked miserable. I too much talking about Andrew after Cole. that laugh. You're right. The laugh kind of made me forget the details because I kept thinking, why? With that stock kid laugh. <laughs> it just gets pretty bad with all it's the like stock the, stuff. You, you recognize that stock laugh, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the like, child, child, child giggling. I can't even. I, I mean, no one can do it besides. <laughs> The, those kids it's such an unnatural kid laugh <laughs> that every time i hear it yeah. yes it's totally forced yeah it's like okay kid laugh give your best laugh <laughs> oh no was, was that you trying or was that you actually laughing i was gonna say is that you trying oh no I'm, I'm genuinely laughing <laughs> <laughs> see that's not normal laugh for no, any breed of human and there's a bunch like that. There's several famous screams, like not the Wilhelm, but the other one. The uh, the, the guy screaming from uh, the open Ari monsters. Yeah, I don't remember what that's called, but it, when it, when you say not the Wilhelm scream, you're probably thinking of that it's one. It's like a deeper, a deeper, more like demonic sounding scream. I heard that one. It was in the end. That scene where he gets the phone call from Gordon saying how... He's going to go meet with cold or whatever. Right before that, that was the scene with the mirror. Yeah, right. that, that scene. Oh, yeah, that scene. Or he slams his head in the mirror? No, not that scene. No, no, no. Right before that. He's on the phone. I think he's talking to he's talking to the author about meeting him or something. Yeah, the author. And the mirror is out of sync with him in the scene. <gasps> oh, I have to say that's one of my favorite parts of the movie. I don't know why. I know that sounds kind of lame. So that did happen. I thought maybe I was just like seeing. I didn't. So that was an actual intentional thing by the movie to have his reflection to be out of sync with what he was doing. Yeah, it was intentional. I maybe. assume it was intentional. It has to be intentional. And see, that's the thing about this movie. You don't know if it's intentional 
or if it's just there. Happy accident. Yeah, because I was under the impression that it was a mistake. Yeah, like like they like... had composited the mirror. <laughs> but he was totally out of sync with the mirror. You could see his reflection move differently as he's moving, and you notice something's kind of off. So I feel like that was on purpose because you're supposed to feel you're now entering this realm of where things don't make sense, where it's kind of skewed and he's in a different reality. Having worked on composites and visual effects in the computer and like editing movies myself, I feel like the camera was in shot. So they composited the mirror <laughs> out with another shot oh. and it was like, it's not in sync. What do we do? And they're like, you know what? Just use it. It adds atmosphere. <laughs> it looks good. No, I don't think sense. so. I don't think so. Because later on after that scene, uh, what was he break his head? No, no, no. he closes, he closes the, door the door, and right? the Mothman is in the mirror. Yeah, it's like a mask or uh, injured cold. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if it's a Mothman or injured cold at this point because they're supposed to be two different yeah. things. It kind of implies that they're the same thing. It's the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I guess they're supposed to be the same because they take place roughly in the same area. I suppose. Well, I figure injured cold could just I, transform into different things, so he's still the Mothman and injured cold. Okay. Yeah. I don't know, but it, it does a jump cut to his face several times in the movie. And again, the same problem when we watched uh when we watched Amityville for our first podcast, we're watching an older movie on a higher def TV. And notice sayings that you normally shouldn't. Well, not to go backwards, but that sequence in the beginning of the movie where the wife sees the jump scare of the Mothman, I don't know if it's just because our TV is nice. <laughs> That looks like they drew it in freaking MS Paint. It was not good, no. It just no. made it move. It was, it was quick, it was a, but not good. It was decent as a jump scare, but like once you're processing what you're seeing, I was like, this looks like a kindergarten, like a kindergartner's drawing. And there's other paintings and drawings of the Mothman in the movie that I feel like would have been scarier than that weird doodle that they use <laughs> in the scene. Don't even use that at all. Right after that is the scene where he gets a call from Gordon and he smashes his head into the mirror. That right. one was weird. Because after that scene, he gets a call on the phone. He turns around. He feels looks fine. But in the next cut, his right hand is bleeding. Right. And he's like holding and putting pressure on it. But yeah. he hit his head on the mirror. And but then the it mirror wasn't that, broken. Yeah, it implied that the mirror wasn't broken. That it, it was all hallucination. But then when they show him on the phone, his hand is bleeding. But it's only in the wide shot. And it also shows the sink kind of bloody. And then in another shot. It's not bloody anymore. That's no. what I mean. I feel like they deleted a scene where he had cut himself, but they still wanted to use that wide shot of him on the phone, and we were just not supposed to notice that his <laughs> hand was bleeding. But it was totally bleeding. I don't know. Did you catch that, Mel? Uh, what, where his hand is bleeding? Yeah. yeah. I, did, I did not. This is the first time hearing of it. Yeah, it was a random scene. His hand is just bleeding. My head was not all in. Yeah. I, I guess it's just <laughs> us nitpicking. Yeah, we probably just nitpick. But I feel like there's a lot of continuity errors in this movie that they left in just to be artsy. I could see that. That's what made me think that the mirror bit wasn't intentional because clearly the bloodied hand wasn't intentional because they don't reference his hand bleeding ever again. No bandage at all or anything. But then he decides to go on a crusade to stop a disaster because he's listening to the recordings that the police chief had because the police chief claims that he called him. 
And after playing back the recordings, he hears that there's supposed to be a disaster in the river. Yeah. He ends up getting a call from his boss who's like, you're supposed to be there for a job anyway. So that's the thing that kind of gets me about the movie. He's supposed to be there interviewing the governor. That was initially what the job was. He was headed toward before he skipped out on his friend's party. Oh, yeah. He had to like go somewhere yeah, early right. in the morning for some interview, right? Yeah. That's what he was there to do anyway. The idea that the Mothman somehow teleported him hundreds of miles doesn't really matter if that was his destination. He was supposed to be there to interview the governor. Yeah, he was supposed to be there anyway. He just drove then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, in fact, I have no idea the time this movie takes place. Like, how long is he supposed to have been in town? I feel like, like a, month? a few weeks or less than that because it's the beginning of... Wait... This is confusing because was that supposed to be Christmas, another Christmas party when he first left? Oh, yeah. Was that party his friend was trying or... to like get him to? Was that a Christmas party or a regular party? That was a Christmas party. If Wait. it was a Christmas party, that means he was in Point Pleasant for a year. Really? Shit. That, that, it's, it's, that it's, can't be right. It's Christmas at the end of the movie. Wait, I, I think it was like or the did beginning. it all happen? Did it all happen within like a week, maybe? I think it was the beginning of like Christmas time, oh, like so like a week or two ahead. Oh, I like feel like he was there for about two weeks. Early December, oh, then. Like I towards suppose. going towards the end of December, because the climax towards the end of the movie is on Christmas Eve, right? right? Yeah. 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 Okay. I think it's funny because right after that scene where he tries to talk to the governor and explain to him about the accident that's supposedly going to happen. Yeah, he thinks yeah. the power plant is going to blow up or whatever. And he's like at the bar drinking. That was the director, by the way, as the bartender. Yeah. You know what I read, too? He's also the the bartender dude was also the voice actor for Injured Cold. The chapstick guy. Yeah, because <laughs> chapstick guy. So he's going to warn. Well, he's trying to warn the governor about the explosion yeah. and stuff. And he does it badly, like a fucking crazy person. He should have just told him, like, this is a terrorist attack. And the movie takes place a year after 9-11. Everyone would be, like, on high security. That oh, right. This came sense. out in 2002. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is also the only time in a movie where there is actually doubt about the whole injured cold or prophecies or whatever you want to call it there's for the first time she doesn't yeah. believe him oh right because she was... finally experiences something unusual now <laughs> she doesn't believe him the wife his yeah. wife shows up yeah his wife the ghost of his wife shows up and starts asking him questions and i love how she describes like oh this woman showed up asking about you yeah yeah she had red hair and was real pretty. And he's like, oh, it must have been my wife. And I like how she immediately is like, no, that's not what I meant. No. She's like, no, it could have been anyone. It's not. It, it can't possibly be your wife. Like, you believed him. Starting to show doubt. Yeah. You believed him entirely when you had no experience with anything <laughs> supernatural. You had no proof at all. But now that you've literally seen a ghost, you don't believe him. Yeah. Nope. Even though he has a picture of her. He was like, is this the woman? She's like, no, that might not be. And I was like, dude, this looks just like Deborah Messing. That's not your wife. That's the chick from Will and Grace. <laughs> wow. And then it just goes downhill from there where he's like, please believe me. And she's like, dude, you're you're too close. I now realize you're too close. Get away from my nose. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's one thing I caught before before I forget? One thing I caught that doesn't really, like, they don't point it out too much in the movie. She's not the sheriff. No, she's just... She's like a deputy. Officer. She's just a deputy. 
yeah, yeah. random officer like i remember They're the only one there because she's the only one interested i wonder what the other cops are thinking of her leading around this reporter asking all of these crazy people about their ufo experiences <laughs> like are you on duty what are you doing out here a small town not much work to do i would assume all right so are we at the end sequence oh there was one more phone call oh yeah there's another phone call where his uh buddy talks to him oh right after the scene with the governor that goes yeah. wrong because there wasn't yeah. a disaster he's all distraught and i guess he goes home yeah Did he, he like um yeah because he's supposed to get a message from his wife. Yeah, they were like, your wife's going to call at your house at noon. So he like heads home to try to talk to her. And his friend calls him to try to convince him not because it's not really your wife. You know she's yeah. gone. You know he's just like playing with you. Which implies she believes that Injured Cold has some sort of power, but she doesn't believe that he's psychic for some reason. She believes, but she doesn't want to commit. Yeah, I don't know what she believes. I got really <laughs> confused or lost watching this. She says, you should come over for a Christmas party. You shouldn't be alone on Christmas. Totally hitting on him, by the way. Obviously. Um, no, they're just friends. They're just friends. No, but, more than that. And that's, that's what makes me think that he wasn't, like, maybe she was flirting with him, but he was totally, like, dead set on who the hell this person is. And, like, he's so engrossed of, what's going on? I need to know. My wife. My wife. Like, he's still in that heavy grieving period and that kind of unravels as we get to further on into the movie where he decides to not answer the phone and he like breaks it and then he you can still hear a voice like or not a voice but it's yeah. still the ringing reading. and they do a close-up like the phone's broken look the cord's disconnected I, definitely 2000s <laughs> i totally glossed over that scene i for some reason was thinking Oh, he didn't break it hard enough. <laughs> yeah. Like, I it, I forgot that it was unplugged, too. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh, right, unplugged means it don't work. That sequence really confused me, right? Because she's trying to invite him to the Christmas party. He's at home waiting for the phone call. Then he realizes something's up. And does he teleport to the bridge? No, I think he, he drives or, no, drove he there. says he takes a plane. Well, she bought him She bought him the flight ticket. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, Laura Nina's character bought her, bought him a ticket. Do you remember the name of her character in this movie? Laura? No. Yeah. N no, but a quick Google search, <laughs> I can see. And it's, her it's name fine. It's fine. is Connie. Connie Mills. Connie Mills. Ah. Yeah, didn't didn't <laughs> catch that. No, I'm still going to call her Laura. I, I, we just watched this movie. Why isn't this stuff retaining? The, the only one whose name I can remember is Gordon because Richard Gere says it so many yeah. times. Gordon. And I remembered Gordon. his name was John because I have my notes <laughs> in front of me. Oh, wow. Good, good job. You didn't take notes on her. <laughs> no, I just kept... I wrote down Laura Linney's character. <laughs> so, yeah, I was confused by that. It was edited so quickly that I thought that he had teleported there like he did in the beginning of the movie. That means that... He decided to not answer the phone call from his wife. He felt that something was wrong. So he had enough time to hop on a plane, take a cab to the airport, take a cab from the airport, run on foot to the bridge just in time to watch it collapse. Well, I mean, he does help at this point because it goes it, a certain amount of people are supposed to die. And that was a whole thing. For the bridge sequence, they actually built a model bridge. That cool. I think that is where most of their budget went. Oh. 
It was a one-sixth scale of the bridge, and they had model cars, of course, and all that, that they actually collapsed to film the sequence. I always love seeing model stuff. It looks so cool. I'm like, look at all the little things go. Little toys. <laughs> In the movie, the bridge collapsing, that's a really good, solid special effect. It kind of makes the cardboard cutout Mothman in the opening of the movie really stick out. <laughs> right. I feel like the jump scare in the beginning should have been a lot faster. Because now, if you're like paying attention, I feel like it holds too long on that. It gives you enough drawing. time to really look at what you're yeah. like looking at. You're like, this sucks. I honestly think the movie would have been better if she had died in that car accident. Yeah, because that's how you remember it. <laughs> yeah, that is that is. I I edited it in my head. I was trying to describe the movie to you before we watched it. I said, and I remember it this way: his wife dies in a car accident after seeing a mysterious creature. And then finds himself in a town across the country where the creature is being sighted again. That's how I remember it. But what actually happens is his wife has a brain tumor. And two years later, he finds himself in a town not too far from where he is. Super far from where he is. 800 miles. Didn't think it was that far. He's able to drive back and forth from there in Chicago several times throughout the movie like it's not a big deal. Chicago's crazy far because well, he teleports i don't know in the in the beginning when he first like gets there they make such a big deal out of like he's like oh you drove way far yeah he does that later in the movie to talk to the he, like he has enough yeah. time to go to chicago talk to the guy get turned down like go back and then and go that's talk not to, a big deal yeah and then go back <laughs> again and talk to him he's only gone for a couple hours he also has enough time to take the recording to whatever fancy pants sound booth place it was that could analyze like this isn't human vocal cords. I could tell that because when I clicked search, nothing came up. <laughs> you know how you could tell it's a sound institute? How? People are rubbing glasses. Oh, yeah. There was a guy who's like literally doing the, like, the glass thing with a wine glass. That guy's recording audio of him playing the cups. And in the background, you're going to hear a dude going, it's not from human vocal cords. <laughs> it adds nothing to the scene. And it sort of implies that that guy that he's talking to doesn't have an office because he's just talking in the middle of where everyone else is experimenting. What's the point of all that sound booth equipment if you're all just going to sit in a circle in the center of the room and talk over each other while you're in mid-record? It's science They even have the, it, the computer doesn't recognize it moment. <laughs> the exactly. Classic mid-2000 techno babble. This computer has the ability to analyze vocal cords. And it's not human. Yeah, he said it was some kind of like electromagnetic something. I don't know the jargon. Sound. Yeah. It's like electromagnetic <laughs> frequency making sounds that sound like words. Like, like whatever it was, it wasn't human. I like how it's just a button that says analyze. Yeah. <laughs> and he and he clicks it and is like, no, search result found. Like, are you on the internet? Or whatever <laughs> database he has access to. Kind of went into a tangent. But the point is. They kind of make light of how much he travels in the movie toward the end. In the beginning, there was a huge emphasis on how far he traveled. But then he travels back and forth from Chicago, D.C. In fact, in the end of the movie where he goes from his home to Point Pleasant fast enough to try to help out at the bridge disaster that he had prophesied to begin with. I felt like that bridge sequence was way too long. Really? Yeah, I felt like that bridge was falling for like 15 minutes. I'm like, come on. Why why isn't it down already? It just keeps popping like pop, pop, pop. 
And their emphasis on that young couple who are supposed to be getting married, and the dude gets whipped in the face by one of oh, the yeah. splitting cables. It was super Final Destination. Like he got whacked like straight in the head. Yeah. yeah. He for no reason has the most violent <laughs> death in this whole movie. Yeah. Like, what did he do wrong? He saw the Mothman in mid making out. I also I wondered too, like his red eye, did that have anything to do with like where the like I don't know what that what it's called, the hook where it hit him? Like was it a mark? Yeah, I thought they yeah. were gonna do that. Well, His left eye was all bruised and effed up, and it never healed. Well, I was gonna say it, they showed uh, other images, or I believe like other villagers that had that same red eye thing. Yeah, in there, a, right? a little boy had it, and I was like, so, "Oh, that's sad. He probably died in the bridge." But they didn't really make clear if that was like a mark of death or not. You're right. I it felt like it should have been like a mark yeah. of death thing because. The only people that died, well, him. He's the only one that they showed that mark yeah, on. So right. that wasn't very clear. Again, what you were saying, I thought they were going to show that he got hit in that spot mm-hmm. with the cable. Right, which they didn't yeah. show. They His didn't whole show head anything. just got hit. No, That guy got fucked up, actually. Though I did appreciate the foreshadowing of when he first comes to town. And the first thing they show is the dress shop. Oh, yeah. And then at the end of the movie, that's one of the last things they show is her coming out of the dress shop wearing that dress, seeing that her fiance is dead. Bad luck. Oh. That bridge takes forever to yes, fall down. Yes, the bridge takes forever. He has enough time to run the length of the bridge, warning people to yeah. get out of their cars. He's the first one to see the bridge start to break, right? And he's yeah, like, everyone, we got to get out. It. And everyone's looking like, what? What, what do you mean? And he had to run up. That's the part that really bugs me about that scene is he ha- people have to be told to run away from a collapsing yeah. bridge. Yeah, like, dude, get out of your car, walk away. It's collapsing. You have this bridge is taking forever to collapse, which that, in real life it didn't. Yeah, in real life, the bridge went down in seconds. Oh, really? The, the real bridge that went down in Point Pleasant? Yeah, it was less than a minute for the whole thing to go down. So you didn't have any time. Normally when bridges start to fall, they'll fall a little bit and then just everything Collapses. just crashes really Ugh. fast. Yeah, that pretty much is what <laughs> happened to the real bridge, but it didn't take no damn 15 minutes. <laughs> and what I was saying is he's trying to get people to flee their yeah. cars. That scene where the kid gets whapped with yeah, the yeah. wire and his head gets ripped off, the cars behind him and the cars in front of him had to be told Get off the bridge. It's collapsing. You just saw this kid get whapped in the face by a wire. Why are you still in your car? Get out of there. No part of a bridge should be collapsing and you should be in your car still. Like you should get the fuck out. We got to wait our turn. Richard (laughs) Gere has to say it's all right. (laughs) Maybe that's what makes me think he's the only one who is able to save them because they were originally supposed to die. So there was a set number and they emphasize on the number and he's the one who's actually changing that number by oh. dragging those people out and saying, I'm saving you. You're not going to be another number. You think that cold gave him the ability mm. to alter the premonition? Yes. Well, did he really alter it, though? Because cause Laura Linney's character, like her dream pretty early on in the movie was saying, like, yeah. what was it? wake up number 37. She was supposed to be 37. Yeah, she but, was still supposed to be dead. Did they say there's supposed to be like over 40 people or so? In real life, there was 46 people. Oh, God. Right. And in real life, it was December 15th, not Christmas Eve. Yeah, just to make things a bit cooler. Yeah. Make it on Christmas Eve. 
Yeah, and Richard Gere wasn't there. He was not there. <laughs> well, and, uh, okay. Uh, no. Duh. The point is, yeah, you're you're right. I feel like she w- she was definitely supposed to die in that scene. Him telling her to wake up was just the nightmare she had. But everything played out exactly in her, like as in her dream. But rather than her drown and die, Richard Gere saves her. John. Yeah. John. I'm gonna call him by his character or his name. Richard Gere. <laughs> Richard Gere saves her, and they find out later she was supposed to be number 37, so if he didn't dive in to save her, she would have died, like in her dream. Right. Because she made it clear that she was just going to give up Mm. and die. How how deep is the Ohio River? I have no idea, but... I was like, damn, Richard Gere can swim with with all five of his layers on all the way down to the bottom and save a fully grown woman. You fucking jumped off of a bridge, man. (laughs) Well, didn't he jump off where it was kind of broken, so it was a bit lower? Yeah, I would have thought the distance of the fall would have hurt him at the very least, and the water is freezing. But he he came out. You can jump off of a bridge safely if you're like wearing enough. Wearing a trench coat and full clothes. Yeah, Yeah. and he has several layers on because it's freezing. Should have died too. And you went inside the car. Mm pulled off the cop bar which i don't know how would you ever you be able grill. to do that so easily yeah so oh, effortlessly yeah. that cage on the back of the windshield is supposed to the cage on the back is supposed to keep prisoners in but he's able to pull it off with one hand underwater while holding his breath yeah. maybe he got shifted i don't know maybe but the, yeah maybe the mothman gave him powers <laughs> It felt like it, honestly. That's why he's able to jump in the water and to take away that bar. That's what I'm thinking. Intrigue codes helped him. Well, I kind of thought that they were going to go with that route of he was Indrid Cold or some sort of weird time travel thing because I felt that the costume choice of having him in a black trench coat throughout the whole movie was odd that Indrid Cold also had a trench coat. There is that weird thing of Gordon seeing him at his house at two in the morning for three days in a row, but it wasn't really him. I thought it was going to turn into a time travel thing, or at the very least, he's being embodied by cold. You know what I mean? Like there are people spotting him in town where he wasn't there and he's dressed like the Mothman throughout the whole movie. The Mothman recording of his voice. Yeah. The recording of his voice and the fact that the Mothman could shape shift. I thought it was going to turn into like a time travel thing for a second. Uh Like, prevent the pr- prophecy. Explain away the prophecy as in it's him going back in time and trying to warn people. Mm-hmm. Then shouldn't it be a premonition? Well, it kind of is. Prophecy, premonition. Mm. Semantics. Yeah. I feel that a, the difference between a prophecy and a premonition is one of them's religious. Which one? Prophecy. Prophecies <laughs> are usually in scriptures. <laughs> yeah. Which nothing's written down in this movie. No. I just checked out a high river. It's 167 feet deep. Oof. Jesus. That's pretty damn deep. I don't know if the bridge was at the deepest part, though. That's true. The bridge could have been at a more shallow end. Yeah. But so I feel like, in reality, I feel like there were a lot of things working against him. I think it was just movie magic that helped him save her. But, yeah. It was Indrid Cold who helped him. <laughs> or the Mothman. Or Indrid Cold, because I don't know who the difference is in this movie. That's what I mean. I think he is Indrid Cold. Richard Gere? Magic I time travel. I think he just got the power. Richard. That's what I was talking about. Richard Gere being injured cold via time travel or some psychic nonsense. Uh, maybe he was him when he hit his head in the mirror and they showed Mothman in the mirror. 
I don't know. They switch it's, bodies. I guess it's just up to you to have well, fun with it. Well, there is that scene where Cold yells into the phone and it like something like enters his head or like he seems like he's in pain. From that point on, he's able to see all the weird shit and all the psychedelic stuff starts happening to him. Is that in the same scene with the chapstick? Right. Yeah. The scene yeah. with the chapstick yeah. ends with him not only believing injured Cold. It's like a really loud noise. Yeah, he has a really loud noise. I thought they kind of implied that Cold entered him at that point. And gave him a gift? Yeah, like how it was the same sound that the wife heard when she saw the Mothman in the opening of the movie. I oh. thought that the same thing was happening to him. Like either he was granted psychic powers or he was given a brain tumor and now he's all hallucinating and shit yeah. <laughs> with psychic powers. Like brain tumor powers. Yeah. At the time, was anyone else having uh, precognitive moments the way Gordon was? No. So it was just Gordon. It was just Gordon. I, I kind then... of saw, yeah, I saw, I kind of saw the chapstick scene as like a turning point. Like maybe injured cold was like, all right, I'm fucking done with Gordon. Let's move on to Richard Gere. Whose character, whose character's name I still don't know, apparently. It was John. John. John, okay. John Gere. I like how we only know Gordon's character. <laughs> <laughs> and cold. Oh, yeah, him. Yeah. It definitely felt like it had transferred over to Richard Gere at that point. Yeah. I could see that. Because mm -hmm. it's a turning point in the movie. Like, after that, it's like a free-for-all. Like, all the crazy shit starts happening to Richard Gere. I like that periodically throughout the movie, they show his friend calling him, like, dude, call him sick. I don't care what you're doing. Just call him sick. You want to make sure you have a job when you come back? Like He never does. His friend, yeah. he, his friend calls twice in the movie. If I could just say one thing about that. How did he not lose his job? Like, what? He's too good. Yeah, I think in the beginning of the movie, the boss is like, we love you. You're the best. Maybe he uses some of that leverage to keep his job. Yeah, it was too good to get <laughs> Yeah, <him>. like, dude, <laughs> you could just well, go obsess with this town for a few weeks. But that was the town he was supposed to be to interview the governor. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> technically, he was where he was supposed to be. He was just there early. Yeah, but he didn't do his job. <laughs> By the time he misses the interview with the governor... There's only a couple more minutes left in the movie, so we don't know if he got fired for missing the interview. But he was in the location where he was supposed to meet the governor in the first place. Yeah. yeah. He probably didn't get fired since he did save all those people and he'll be a hero. So, And he'll definitely he have a good story to publish after that. Yeah, so he still has a job. Yeah. Washington Post reporter saves one person in bridge collapse. <laughs> no, well, he took other people out of the car. From the bridge who escaped. I would have blamed him. He would have blamed him for a, a bridge collapsing. How did he know the bridge was going to collapse? Oh, Mark him as a terrorist or something? Oh. Hey, oh he gosh. threatened the governor a couple days earlier. Yeah. Yeah, that him. is true. And I suppose like that that same thing happened to that leak guy where he like he mentioned that he was trying to warn everybody that a building was going down. Oh. And he That's got blamed for him. it. Yeah, yeah. That's probably what happened to him after the movie. It could be just like leak. Yes, he leaks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of on the nose, him quoting her, talking about her dream. Yeah. Wake up number 37. That was so forced. Did you yeah. guys catch the radio in that scene where her car's going underwater? The radio? No. What happened? Her call sign on her walkie-talkie, the number changes to 37. Really? Oh. It, it's subtle. It, no, I didn't see. That was one of the most subtle things in the movie I saw, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. I don't know. There's this a is cool if you catch it. Yeah, if you caught it, it's neat. If not, eh. again, the movie's so disjointed and oddly shot, I couldn't tell what like, was intentional. Is it mm. an accident or is it really supposed to be there? 
I guess it's supposed to be parallel at the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie where he finds out that his wife is dying. So he's running in slow motion along the bridge to get into the hospital. And it's a parallel shot to him running across the bridge to save Laura and Lenny. But it's so yeah. artsy and over the top that I just <laughs> kind of like, really? This, where are they going with this? And that creepy nurse. It's like your wife was drawing angels. Oh, the the weird orderly, like right after the wife dies. Yeah. He's leaving. What do you help him pack up or something? Did you guys find that one scene where um J- Richard Gere's character goes to I don't know where the hell he is. It's a dilapidated place, and he sees that um rundown building, and the opening is in the same shape as like injured Cole, but also the the nurse. I thought that was reaching. Yeah, I thought that was weird. It was. <laughs> That's what I mean. There's no. There's no subtlety. Well, it's like he hasn't seen this nurse in two years. And he remembers that <laughs> specific pose yeah. of him slightly leaning on the door that, as he came in. Yeah. I mean, that could have just been the way that guy stands. You know, just one shoulder up, one shoulder down. Six, two. Hmm. Yeah. There, there's a lot of reaching in this movie. I felt like they were trying to force metaphor hmm. and be very philosophical, but it, it doesn't really land yeah, properly. Didn't execute it well. Nope. Or you couldn't tell if it was an accident. So. Well, I'm pretty sure him bleeding wasn't on purpose. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely felt like a continuity error. Plus, with the cheap sound effects, I'm not sure if anything was done on purpose. <laughs> oh, the stocks. Yeah. Alrighty. <laughs> Are we good for ratings? Yeah, I think we wrapped up the whole movie and all the yep. weirdness that came with it. I don't know why I had an accent. Just like Laura Lenny, it sort of fades in mid-sentence. <laughs> yes, sorry, Bob. <laughs> Anyways. Is there anything else that stuck out to you guys or that you really enjoyed? I think we pretty much, I covered every point that I enjoyed. What was your favorite scary bit? Like, what part of the movie was actually creepy or scary to you? I don't think anything was Some scary. jump scares here and there. Yeah, the, the jump scare Nothing in the beginning with the wife personally. was kind of effective only because it was so early in the movie. Oh, and you weren't expecting it? But I don't know. For the most part, I wasn't very scared by this movie. It's just the idea. I didn't find it very... The idea of injured co is the scary part. I, I felt like a lot of the movie fell kind of flat for me. Yeah. But like mm. the bridge scene yeah, I, I thought was that. really well done. And it's a shame that it only it was at the end. It, it's the main part of the movie that yeah. you remember. Like yeah. uh, besides the chapstick part. Yeah, is uh, I would have to say the bridge scene, of course, and that's where most I felt like they tried really hard on that part, and they should have been trying hard throughout the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, trying as equally hard throughout the whole thing. But yeah. then again, they did use that stock yell during a bridge part, so the, the oh, real monster scream. Yeah. yeah, so <laughs> yeah, so <sighs> I don't know. That's just how they did the whole movie. But they did put a lot of effort into that last part. Yeah. Of course, they wanted to emphasize how awful. Because it's a real life scene. And people from the village watching that scene oh, kind of yeah. got like PTSD. And they weren't like cool watching it because their family died on there or their friends. Like people they actually knew. I think uh, the mayor's daughter died oh. on that bridge too. Yeah, I remember we... I we researched this more than anything else we've researched. We watched multiple documentaries, different <laughs> videos, read several articles. I got really into it while we were pre- prepping for this, especially after all the technical difficulties we had recording the first time. Yeah. Mothman. 
my bad. Um, yeah, there was several interviews of people just talking about the bridge disaster, completely unrelated to the Mothman stuff. Or well, is it? No, I mean, just the interview was completely unrelated. Oh. Yeah, that part. <laughs> In the context of the movie, we forget this was a real disaster that really, really affected people. So seeing it on screen is heartbreaking especially since it was done so well yeah it's kind of like one of those war movies or like save a private ryan or anything like that oh, it's an yeah. actual thing that happened to people and people kind of tend to freak out when they watch that they've been through it they've experienced it especially since even though the movie takes place in modern times they went out of their way to replicate what the bridge looked like yeah, yeah. and they did a pretty good job did they ever find out what actually led to that bridge collapse in real life? I yeah. think it was like a broken hinge or screw of some sort, right? I think it's called a... T I don't remember the actual name of the part, but there's a specific part that failed. It was like a T-bolt or something, but the bridge was built in like 1928. I hella researched this, by the way. <laughs> the bridge was built in 1928, and the actual metal used to construct the parts isn't up to modern standards like it was strong at the time but they found that over decades the bridge probably would have failed they had known for quite some time that there's going to be some repair issues and they were actually working on it before the bridge collapsed oh. but after mm. several maintenance checks they hadn't found anything wrong because they had only really done maintenance checks partially through the bridge they've been gradually okay first we'll check the first 50 feet of bolts wires make sure everything's fine and since it was the holiday week they technically didn't get to the whole bridge i believe it was i think it was like bolt 13 or something like that like it it just failed and the whole bridge twisted itself apart when the metal gave out i don't know why they changed the amount of people that died in the movie honestly maybe to not make it as sensitive like they're trying to they're trying to be accurate but not super accurate because if they're trying to be super accurate then his name would have been woodrow and he would have survived to be miserable yeah <laughs> yeah and a lot of different things would have changed hollywood eyes yeah, yeah. hollywood hollywood, hollywood <laughs> yeah what you said they blinged it yeah they blinged it i will say honestly the chapstick scene really creeped me out when I was a little kid. I mean, it could still be creepy now. It is It is a pretty unsettling scene. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's certainly unsettling, but... I don't know why I thought it was so funny. I <laughs> just was so entertained. Do, oh my, Amber, was it the voice? Maybe. Was it because you said chapstick? I thought the voice was pretty damn funny. I kind of It was a little hard to take seriously. Yeah. Indrid Cold's voice. Chapstick. I think after that voice, I just thought of it as a fun game that these two dudes are playing. I'm like, okay, cool. They're playing a guessing game. <laughs> Want to play a game? And I think he goes at one point, are you reading my mind? He's like, I don't have to. Okay. So then, yes. Oh. How are you doing? You then are, yes. you, are you psychic? Are you watching me? Because Or you just uh, know you the I'm future. Psychic? Like, I thought you were reading my mind, but if you're not, what are you doing? <laughs> just having fun just there maybe he is like a time race of some sort that's why I, that's what i thought was gonna happen that john was gonna go back in time and cause all these things because he's wearing a trench coat why don't you match the villain of the movie well villain <laughs> hero what is cold uh vigilante antagonist not really i i don't know what the antagonist called. is grief oh yeah <laughs> i yeah. guess because that they kept showing her face like look at it look feel sad he is sad 
sad face. Old Richard Gere and his young wife. Yeah. He was pretty old compared to, I mean, I don't know how old anyone was, but it, he was visibly older than both of his romantic interests in these movies. It's Hollywood. Yeah. Yep. She she yep. could be twelve for all anybody cares. Oh, gross. We're bringing up current events now. Well, that's yeah. why I sort of. Th- it's like Amber said. I kind of felt like they had just gotten together because of how weird they were acting in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. It's like a fresh new love of some sort. Like, what's wrong? Did they even mention where she worked at? No, no. We we actually didn't get a lot of background into nothing. Their life. No development. Literally, her only reason for being in a movie is to die. To show that he's sad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to die and to show the grieving period is like I was once happy we laughed for a little bit and then she died we boned in a <laughs> closet and she took too long to get ready the whole montage in the opening scene of her getting ready while he's leaving the office like what is she getting ready for to check out the house she's not going to the yeah. party yeah I don't know anyway <laughs> um, yeah the the chapstick scene really creeped me out when I was a kid. Now that I'm older, definitely not as much. The movie really resonated with me when I was a kid. It was one of those movies that watching it, I was like, yeah, that was okay. And then I walked away in the middle of the night looking at like the wind blowing outside my window. I started to get paranoid. Wait, did he yeah. mention your um, brother played a trick on you with Mothman or something? No, it was the other way around. My brother got really, really scared from watching the Mothman movie. Which one? Or should I not ask that? Oh, it was Albert. It was Albert, okay. He, yeah. After watching the Mothman, he was all freaked out and paranoid of, like, random shit. Just, you know, <laughs> where he kind of worked himself up into a scare. And one time he was coming over to visit and he called me to make sure there was, like, rice and there's food available for when he came over. So I took one of these, like, keychain flashlights that had like the it was like a car with little red headlights yeah and i took the light out and i taped the button down and i attached it to a bat like halloween decoration we had and i hung it in our backyard from the tree wow (laughs) did it work of course he he was cussing at it and yelling at it and shit get the fuck out of here mothman yeah he was he was was cursing at it and throwing things i don't think he thought it was a mothman but you definitely got, got yeah you know how when people get scared they get like angry sometimes yes yeah, yeah. Or, i mean when you're when you're super tense like that you're already like like high anxiety anything is gonna set you off yes yeah. he was yeah. definitely yelling at a kite in the middle of the night <laughs> oh, mission successful i had it on a pulley so that it would come toward him when he came into the backyard <laughs> oh that is awesome <laughs> oh yeah it was a lot of fun wait you could do it again now lex you could buy a drone I ain't gonna lie. When you said we were gonna re-record Mothman, I was like, "We gotta buy red lights to put in the backyard for when Antonio comes over." <laughs> if you would have done that, that would scare the shadow of me. I would have ignored it. Like I don't I mean, see it. Look, yeah. it's right there. I it's know. right there. How can I see it? I would look at it and be like, "It doesn't exist." I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Gaslight him. <laughs> I finally watched that movie, Gaslighting. By the way, really upsetting movie. What Gaslight? Yeah, Gaslight. I've seen both. They're both. What's great. that about? I haven't seen the American one, but it was it was a good movie. I like it. Basically, guy convinces his wife she's crazy. That's where the term gaslighting comes from. Yeah, that runs in like domestic violence circles. Yeah, and he convinces her that she's hallucinating. Really good movie. Um, anyway, <laughs> yes, I I enjoy gaslighting people in a prank. I'm a magician. It's what I do. Okay, and that's in that sense, it's more of like pranking a trickster, like right? 
right? Yeah, justifying something horrible. Anyway. It is, yeah. <laughs> it's in the same vein, yeah. So, did this movie leave a lingering, creeping feeling? Feeling left, like, uh, unsettling feeling for anyone? Yeah, it did for me. Yeah, I think it did well, like, atmosphere-wise. It, it, it had a good base, but I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's something about it that definitely did feel unsettling, but I feel like they could have emphasized on different parts that would have made it even more creepy, like if they had a smiling guy in the yeah. distance. Just stuff or imagery that would just kind of burn into your brain. Like, I, I felt like the movie had a lot to work with, like considering like how, how deep this lore goes. Like, they had so much to work with to make this creepier than it was. And I, they just, I think right. they just decided not to execute it that way. It was interesting that they decided to not focus on aliens, even though Andrew Cold is one of the most famous men in black UFO mm-hmm. ex- experiences to happen. He is the alien. He is the alien that yeah. people talk about. I felt like the movie very much so didn't really know which genre they were aiming for. Like, it started off as a serious drama, guy grieving with his wife. Detective-like. It was very detective-like, him interviewing witnesses spiritualist like well the spiritualism bit like like a psychological horror but mm-hmm. then it yeah, had psychological like horror. but it had like thriller vibes of him like trying to beat the pre- premonitions <laughs> yeah it's kind of all over the place so what would you guys rate this movie wait so what is the unit of five stars or ten stars i, I seriously think we should think of a unit other than stars Unique to our podcast, five blood drips, golden VH tips. I think it should be, I think it should be less than three syllables. Dash, five dashes. Dashes is two syllables. Screams. Oh my god, Dash is your cat's name, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I thought I was like, wait, did I actually? That was my intent. I was like, what if it was Dash's name? But I was like, is Dash's name? I'm just not throwing out random words. Yeah. Did I tell you about Amber told me to stop cussing at the cat? Because I kept calling him a dick because he'd like jump on me. Like, get off of me, dick. And then he started coming whenever we would say dick. So for a minute, I was worried that he thought that was his name. Yeah. Sometimes he responds to that. I'm like, no, you know your name's Dash. So I am very careful to not calling the cat a dick. But then I noticed that I... I kind of started calling him fucker and now when i yell it he looks at me like you mean me (laughs) anyway sorry what would you rate it out of uh five stars uh two and a half for me aside from the bridge scene and then the chapstick scene and like maybe some stuff that's felt a little like unsettling i just felt like it it felt really flat and i wrote this down on my notes i said that the first hour and 40 minutes was like drinking warm and flat soda and then the last 20 minutes was drinking like a really nice blended pina colada. And I feel like a, a good movie, if you want to stand on your own, should be a whole pina colada. <laughs> so the whole movie is like a warm rum, rum and Coke. No, just flat soda. <laughs> and it's not good soda. It's like, flat. and like, I do think that the second half picked up and it did pick up really well. But I just, and like, it's just, I just didn't really care much for Richard Gere's like journey as a character. I just didn't, I don't know if it was his acting or the story. I just didn't feel really compelled. He doesn't grow or learn anything by the end of the movie. Then I, no, again, not really. Like, as I was saying, I think it's a writing thing. Because if it was written really well, where there's the, all the details would have had to pay off. Yeah. Then maybe things would have been like, it would have made the beginning parts much more 
oomph and more emphasis on it if they actually called attention to like his eye being red or just subtle things like that yeah going along with that I think it would have been better if he hooked up with Laura Linney's character because the idea of the he should. Yeah. Cause the idea is he's supposed to be grieving widower and that's established. But at the end of the movie, him accepting his wife's death and moving on is shown by him, not answering injured cold impersonating his wife. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas it could have really emphasis on he's now with the cop. He's moved on with his life and things are going to be okay. Yeah. When the movie ends with right. him being just as tortured as he was. In the beginning. Nothing's changed for him as a character. Well, I guess he saved somebody. Could have watched her die. Instead, he magically somehow got her out. All right, Antonio. Okay, well, the first time we did a recording, um, I gave it a 5 out of 5. But now, after letting the flare go down, I give it a 4 out of 5. Mm-hmm. Oh, what dropped your flare? Well, just... Not enough Mothman, and you know that feeling when you watch a movie initially and you feel all humped and uh, not humped, <laughs> all pumped and everything, but then after a while you feel more calm and relaxed. And you're thinking that was a good movie, but it wasn't as great as I first uh, finished watching it. Yeah, mm-hmm. after you analyze it a bit further in. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, there is no only one scene of Mothman. Uh, it was kind of dull most of the movie. Richard mm-hmm. Gere, I don't don't like Richard Gere. I never do. <laughs> He's a pretty boring guy and boring mm. actor. But the reason it still stays high in 4 out of 5 is just the psychological horror and aspect of it. How how you explain in detail of the story of the actual events of Mothman, the UFOs, the Men in Black, and Intrude Code, knowing that that actually happened and somewhat got translated into movie form, that makes it much more scarier. But then they left out most of that. Yeah. yeah but still, even what they did, Cape, it still, that still creeps me out that what actually happened. I think that's why I really got into it. I would say I give this movie a three because this movie made me really want to research the true story, like more so than a lot of the other ones we've been doing for this podcast. I really got into the lore of injured cold of the Mothman of everything that went down. And I found myself more entertained by that than the actual movie. It's like you were saying, I give this movie a three solely because the Mothman isn't even really in the movie. She has a vision of him, but did she see the Mothman or did injured cold just flash something in her head from far away. I don't think anyone actually sees the Mothman in this movie. The supposed interview moments are all based on real Mothman sighting interviews, but none of them are are accurate to what was seen. If anything, it was more like asking people about a UFO sighting. Other than the fact that Richard Gere's character is pretty much flat throughout most of the movie... All the side characters are very willing to just believe, and they're all really into it. I felt like you could have replaced all of Laura Linney's scenes with Gordon, and it still would have worked. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. None of the characters develop. None of them grow as characters. The cop Laura Linney's character is just as like stuck in a rut, not doing anything as she is in the beginning, just like Richard Gere's character is still a grieving widow. There isn't really a journey so much as it's a 
series of incoherent things that happen. The opening sequence, which is supposed to be semi-normal before it ramps up towards the second act, it's still mildly confusing with just how it was done in a very mid-2000 pretentious music video kind of way. Yeah, I mm-hmm. can see that. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, I would have to... You kind of stole my rating, Lex, but I would have to say uh, three stars out of five. It was good. It definitely left an impression, which is important for a movie to do that. And it kind of helped an entire city grow, too. So the impact of that was so massive that they have festivals. They also have a Mothman statue now. Oh, yeah. We didn't really talk much about that. Oh. The statue. So, I f- sorry, I was gonna say I found the location of the statue. Is it in Point Pleasant? Yes, it is. It is exactly at. Oh shit! I lost the page. <laughs> I was being sarcastic. <laughs> anyway, c- continue your review. Sorry. I don't remember what I was saying. You're saying how the movie saved the community, its legacy. Well, it changed the city. Uh, whether it be for the better or worse, they definitely got recognized by the whole world, and uh, it's become a tourist attraction. They even have a museum along with a festival there, and it's become a part of their culture. Well, not cultures. It became a part of that city. Well, you could say, cul- I would say culture, definitely. Culture? Yeah. yeah, of that city's culture. They do culture. have a museum. Yeah, um, it's definitely them, and it makes that city who they are. And uh, it, it gave them an identity other than just being a random town in Virginia. Yeah, but uh, from the movie point of view, it just eh, it's an it's a two thousand movie. It definitely screams that time period. The Sound effects just kill me inside because they are so generic. You wouldn't give it less than three for I, the sound effects and the cheap? I'm giving it three because it left an impression. And that's something that, as a movie, you win if you could leave an impression. You gave Jaws a less point for bad sound mixing in a yeah, fade. She gave it 4.7. And this movie's sound design really, really bothered me. Well, it's generic. It's Uh. just slapstick generic to me, where Jaws, it didn't make sense. It was so good that that one minor mistake stuck out horribly. Like, like that movie was written really well. Compared to this movie, there's a lot of things I didn't really pay off. Like, there could have been more foreshadowing. There could have been just subtle things, like their eyes being red. I, they could have maybe mentioned that further on or well, other because she mentioned how other people had issues and like what the town folk were saying, but they never got into it, really. Yeah. I feel like all of the foreshadowing in the movie that did pay off didn't pay off well. You know, show the wedding dress at the beginning of the movie that the girl will be in when she sees her fiance killed. That's not really a big payoff or no. the whole number 37 thing and how the twist at the end, which she was prophesizing her own death. That doesn't really pay off well because he blatantly goes, 
wake up number 37 like you just quoted her nightmare at her yeah <laughs> that's what i mean it's kind of poorly written what also to me would knock a point are the random quips in the movie that kind of took me out like really i couldn't shoot him okay like- so <laughs> i'll change my rating to better justify and have a unique one not the same as you i would give it a two point uh seven two point seven i'm gonna mark it off <laughs> points for that extra sound part it was an okay movie but it's definitely a higher than a full two to me because it left an impression and it's a historical piece it made people come to a place and believe and like talk about it to this day i think it really helped push the legend of mothman yeah, uh, the... even though there's really no mentions of Mothman in the movie, in the movie, it's just mostly injured Mothman. cold. So actually, it should have been more of a pro alien movie than a Mothman movie, but whatever. I think it would have been a good excuse to make a legit scary movie about the Men in Black. The Men in Black were a very real UFO sighting, cryptid phenomenon that happened. But now that everybody associates it with the comedy movie, and Will Smith, and Will Smith, oh, maybe they wouldn't take people it as forget that. Yeah, they don't take it yeah, as seriously. Yeah. We were talking about Men in Black earlier. Your mind immediately goes to Neuralizer and fun jokes. In real life, yeah. the Men in Black legit threatened people. Yeah, they're like the bad guys for humans. They harassed the Woodrow Derenberger to the point where he couldn't even talk about cold anymore. Isn't the right. comic supposed to be more violent too? Oh yeah, in the comic for Men in Black, they shoot people to get them to stop talking about it. They don't neuralize them. Yeah, it's not as lighthearted. I mean, mm. I love the Men in Black movies, but from what other people experience about them, it's not as fun. In the comic, the Men in Black are the villains trying to keep hmm. aliens under wraps. But in the movie, they made them the main characters and they made a buddy cop film out of it. Right. Good movie. I mean, it mm-hmm. worked. Well, yeah, it's a good movie, <laughs> but I think they're tr- the problem is, yeah, no one takes the Men in Black seriously. Right. Gonna think of pugs and wiggly worms. Yeah. The thing about the Mothman Festival, the the festival was created the same year the movie came out because they noticed that there was going to be an influx of visitors, especially since they already had a tourist industry in the town because the original Mothman sightings. When they knew the movie was coming out, the head of the Mothman Museum was like, we need to do a festival or some sort of convention to house all these tourists that might come. And to this day, they're actually, they do the festival every year. I don't know about right now with the lockdown, but it's they estimated uh, for more than likely, but they actually yeah. estimated that the, that the festival rakes in $2 million every year into the town. Wow. And it's like the most profitable time of the year for them. I mean, I would and go. All, it looks fun. Oh, yeah. I would, I would love, love to go. To go to I would totally go course we'd all go we're talking about the mothman right now though to be honest yeah. watching that documentary i didn't see a single minority yeah at that, at that festival I'm like, then we shouldn't go then yeah small town i mean west virginia uh, yeah west virginia there's a petition to replace confederate statues with mothman statues it's on change.org and they're looking to get five thousand signatures and they already have three thousand seven hundred seventy four signed up so far what does that do? Like are, the signatures don't really do anything. They just kind of well, help push it further. 
You know what's funny is if you look up the Mothman statue that's currently there, like the one you were talking about, apparently people are fascinated with its butt. Yeah, it like, has a really nice looking uh, butt. Look up Mothman statue butt. For Do some it reason, right it now. was like trending like virally because the sculptor of this statue apparently sculpted a very well made butt. Yeah, stop what you're doing right now and just look at oh. Mothman's butt. It has nice abs. Oh, shit. Oh, you're, you're... <laughs> wow, you like it that much? Oh, wow. <laughs> no, um, yeah, you you are right. It has a real sculpted abs. Dude, look, his body's it like... It looks like he just got... It's like built. Yeah. Very well sculpted butt for some reason. Mm-hmm. It's impressive in rock, but much more impressive in steel. <laughs> it's funny how many like selfies and photos... Of just his butt, you could find if you look up Mothman butt. The real perverts come out. There's a lot of pics of people posing with his butt, too. Okay, so uh, I think that's it for the Mothman. Uh, the, wait, what's the name of the movie? Uh, Prophecy. Prophecy. The Mothman, Mothman Prophecy. Are we supposed to have an outro? I don't know. I don't know. We're just trying okay. to wrap up the uh, episode. Okay, so <laughs> thanks for joining us. If you have any comments, suggestions, email us at kindatruepodcast at gmail.com. Till then, this is Lex, Amber, Tony, and Mel. This has been another episode of What Happened Was True. Bye. Thanks Bye. for listening. Catch you on the flip side. Oh, that, yo, that's yo. Amber's out. <laughs> Amber, you gotta say that. Catch you on the flip side, Amber. I'll just I'll That's just take yours. the clip from the other episode. No. I associate that yes, phrase with you now, Amber. Catch you on the flip side. <laughs>